Hey family, welcome back to the Beacon of Truth. I am your host, Aaron Bull, and I am so excited about this episode, y'all. I have the pleasure of interviewing Mr. Obi West. I have been a fan of his for over eight years now, and I'm so thrilled that he carved out just a little time for, for us. If you have not heard of him, shame on you. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a native of Los Angeles and a retiree from the United States Army. He is also an international spoken word artist, an advocate, and an author. That interview is coming up right after this break. All right, Mr. West, how are you? I'm blessed. How are you? I am great. I really appreciate you being here today. You know, I have been a fan of yours for a long time now. Like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm having a little fangirl moment. So I just had to be clear, you know, with you and the audience. Like, why is she freaking out? Like, y'all don't understand how big a deal this is for me. You know, I mean, like, I'm so glad that this is audio because I'm sweating right now. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, it's a sound to be able to join you. So thank you. Well, I guess we'll just start at the beginning. So where did you get the pen name Obi West? Where did that come from? Obi West, okay. That comes with a story, probably a very unexpected story. I was I was never I caught on to social media late, right? Like I never had a a face space. What was the name of those Facebook? No, not Facebook. My MySpace. MySpace. Yeah, I never had a MySpace page or a Black Panic page, anything like that. So Facebook was my first introduction to social media. And I remember being in my house and a friend of mine was there and he was on my computer, he was in Facebook. And I looked over his shoulder and I said, how, how do you use that? And he said, you can just go search for people in your past and pull them up, right? So there was a girl who I went to junior high school with who I wanted to find. I hadn't talked to her like in years since school. And this was 2007 when this happened and I got out of school in 1998. So I hadn't talked to her in years. And I, uh, let me retract. Growing up, they used to call me Bobby. Don't ask me why, yeah, but they used to call me Bobby growing up. It was, it, the name stuck so much when I walked across the stage for graduation, they, they said Bobby. So now we fast forward back to 2007 when I'm creating this fake Facebook page just for me to find this one person. I had no intent on keeping the page. So what I did was I opened the page and I didn't want to use my real name because I didn't want people to find me. I didn't want to use Bobby because I didn't want people to find me. So I took the letters to Bobby and I scrambled them and it spelled Obi. I'm from the West Coast. I'm from L.A. So I used West as the last name. I didn't know people can search for you via your email address. So I started getting friend requests. I'm wondering how they know I'm here. Right. But then I accepted the friend request. I ended up with like 25 friends and I started to like the experience of a timeline and I kept the page. A couple of years after that, I started doing poetry and started doing what I considered at the time modeling. And everyone who knew me from the world of art, they knew Obi West. So now I can't get rid of the name if I wanted to. So it was a fake name created so I can, I was like the first catfish, right? It was the first name created. <laughs> it, was a, it was the name that I created trying to find somebody. And boom, it's, it's who I am now. I didn't realize that I literally must have been starting to follow you right after you started doing poetry. I just realized that because I knew I had been friends with you for like eight or nine years because, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. will tell you that. Right. So I have no idea. I do not remember how I discovered you because I don't think we have any mutual friends, you know, divine intervention. Thank you, Jesus. Right. And I must admit, 
it has been amazing. And I think that's why I'm so hyped because I have seen you grow. I have seen your awkwardness with social media and videos, you know, what I mean? <laughs> and, and I've seen it transform. So I feel like I've grown with you. So I, I, it's kind of cool to be with somebody from the beginning, not to me. You've been dope from the beginning, but now you have all of these other talents and experiences, and and I can see the growth around your craft because you know what I'm saying the the poems have always been there, and one of the things mm -hmm. that I must say that drew me to you is that your delivery was simple. It, from a standpoint of you didn't have all of that video editing and pictures and words and whatnot. You literally just got into that like maybe five years ago. But I appreciated the fact that your craft was just, it was fine. Okay. I don't know if you know, do you know what fine means? Because people from California be like, fine, what is that? <laughs> I'm assuming it's fire. Is that correct? Okay. It's fire. Yes. It's, it's fire. Because you it. don't need all of those extras. This is how I compare it. I'm sorry if this is a little weird. But for example, if you have your mother's soul food plate, because I'm from the South, and I don't know what soul food is to y'all out there. But you know, here it's going to be macaroni and cheese, cornbread, collard greens, fried chicken. And, you know, it's mom's plate. So it's a basic little plate with everything you need to nourish your soul in that plate. Versus you go to one of those Papa Do's or I don't, I don't know. I'm not bougie enough to know what fancy restaurants look like. I just seen them on TV. But you know how they give you the little portion control with the drizzles and the frou-frou and all of that. Like, right. your, your shit is so dope, you don't have to do none of that. You don't have to add anything because everything you need is right there on the plate already. So you don't have to put the cuts and the edits and the images, words, none of that, because your delivery will keep you there. May I have you set on see first so that if you put out a video, I'm going to see it as soon as I get on Facebook. Like, I don't want to miss one. Oh, wow. That's humbling. I, I really I appreciate it. I wish I had a better <laughs> word than thank you, but I, I really appreciate it. I didn't and, know I was a uh, first for somebody. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's been like that for a long time. And I like poetry, but I'm not the type of person, oh, they're doing poetry. Let me go out. Mm -mm, no. Yeah, but yeah. let me tell you again, <laughs> when O.B. West puts out a poem, because your poem's always in video. So when he puts out a video, I'm tuning in. Like if somebody calls during the video, call back. <laughs> like, <laughs> do not means, disturb, yeah. but it's three to five minutes. <laughs> that means, yeah, that's, that's inspiring. That, that, that's, those type of things make me want to continue to write. So I would never stop writing anyway, but it's just affirmation. So that's, that's very inspiring. But, uh, I, I do have a little beef with you though, sir. You don't know this, but I'm telling you now. Let's so, talk about it. I want to say it was in your I'm so dope. You talked about fumbling like Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta Falcons fumbling like you know, Atlanta Falcons. You know that's where I was going. You know that's where I was going. <laughs> it was just a play on words. The alliteration led to it. It was a, it was a succession of Fs. So the Atlanta Falcons fumbling. It happened to work. <laughs> sir, sir, you are from California. You know nothing about my team other than it's my team. I, you yeah. know, because I'm a fan. I feel like that was a dig at me. That's just me. <laughs> I'm taking it personal. I'm just telling you. 
<laughs> I didn't raise that way at all. A lot of fathers are great organization. <laughs> and they don't fumble all the time. Hey, hey, easy. <laughs> easy, Keller, easy. <laughs> so for the listeners, let me explain. If you have not seen OB West, you can find him on Facebook. And he also has his own website, obwest.com. But here's the thing. His videos are so simple. They'll be in his bathroom or on a porch. That is just him, his words, and a camera. Right. 90% of the time. Right. And it is as entertaining as a movie that has a video team, uh, wardrobe, scripts, and everything else. So I need people to understand why I'm like really slick flipping out because this dude is so nice. I appreciate it. And being that you don't follow any other poets, it is kind of odd how, how you and I got connected because normally most people I connect to are through art. So it was, I guess anything with no explanation is divine, right? So we'll just leave right. it at that. Oh, and I wanted so, to congratulate you on your engagement. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which I will tell you, I had to show him some of your videos because I told him, I said, now, I don't want you to misunderstand. When you hear this episode with him, I am going to be freaking and fanning out. So I have to show you his videos and show you his work. And he was like, oh, he dope. Shawty dope. I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, just need you to understand. He's he's born and bred Atlanta. Grady Hospital, all the theories. Any, any stereotypical Atlanta you have seen about Atlanta black men, he's him. Okay, he is T.I., he is future. Please send my appreciation. You said he complimented the poetry. Please send my appreciation. So what? how did you get into this? Poetry, it happened later in life. Uh, a lot of poets, relative to a lot of poets who I'm around, I started writing significantly late. Most people who I know, they say they've been writing since they were children. They were writing short stories or something. For me, poetry didn't start until the age of 31. It was in 2011. That's the reason my book, the first poem starts on page 31. There's no page one through 30. It just starts on page 31 because that's when I started writing poetry. So how it happened is there was, I remember, I remember being in Killeen, Texas, and I was in a shower one day and I just felt this overwhelming void. I felt like, like life was a empty pattern, an empty cycle. I wake up in the morning and I get dressed. I go to work. I come home. I sit around for a minute, take a shower, go to sleep. And I, and I repeat that pattern. And the only time it changes on the weekends because I didn't have to go to work. But I, I didn't feel like any part of my life was fulfilling aside from fathering a daughter. But aside from that, I didn't feel like there was anything else that was fulfilling. So I'm in the shower and I'm thinking something's missing. And I go through this, this bout with feeling like life was empty. And about a week later, there was a guy who used to come from Dallas, Texas and come down to Colleen, Texas. And he would bring a show. His name was Dwayne Debonair. He would bring a comedy show. And I heard the show was, was happening across the street from where I live. I walked over there to see the show and he started introducing poets. And I'm thinking, I don't want to see this. I came for a comedian. What were these poets? What I didn't know it was an open mic. I never heard of open mic. I didn't know what that was. And a lot of poets signed up on an open mic. There was a poetry team in that area called the Colleen Poetry Slam. And they were there that night and they were on an open mic. So I watched the first person, the second person, third person present. And it's like they levitated. There was a level of liberation that I've never seen anyone exude publicly and get away with it. It was a one-sided conversation. I'm on this stage. I have the mic. I'm going to say what I have to say. I'm going to cry while I'm doing it. And you just have to listen. And something in me was like, that's that thing. That's that thing. 
So I asked the guy, I said, how can I do this? He said, come back in 30 days. I'll be back right here in 30 days. Come back, sign your name on the list and you can do it. So I, within 30 days, I wrote what I considered two poems. I memorized them. I went back. He let me on the stage. My feet left earth and I just never came back. Okay, then. You seem so natural. Like, I would have expected you to say, oh, I've been doing this since, you know, I, I could learn, since I first learned to write or could talk, I've been talking in poems. Or, you know what I'm saying? No, so no. That, that's really interesting. So how how did you work on that? How how did you find your style, your your delivery that makes everything, makes you everything that you are? By by separating from everything that is. So what I did was, I'm I'm an extreme introvert. I'm a recluse. Um, the only time that I'm really in society is if I'm at a venue, I'm at a speaking engagement, something of that nature. Aside from that, I'm closed in the house. So when I started doing poetry, I never really gravitated towards a circle of of poets. Aside from the circle who I came up under, Colleen Poetry Slam, but. I never really gravitated towards a circle of poets. A lot of poets who have been doing this for years, they have a family of other poets that they write with, they're on slam teams with. So what happens is like in Atlanta, if I go to Atlanta when I'm five years old and I stay there for 10 years, at some point my accent is gonna sound like other people from Atlanta. It's the same thing with poetry. When you surround yourself with a lot of other poets consistently, your delivery starts to sound the same. And if you close your eyes, you kind of don't know one poet from the other. But I, I was never part of one of those circles. So I didn't I didn't watch poetry online or anything. So I didn't know what the sound was. So I had no choice but to create my own. Right. In the absence of knowing what's common, then who you are becomes what's common for you. So that's that's sort of how it happened for me. There was one poet who I look up to right now. His name is Talam AC. Somebody gave me his poetry CD when I first started. I didn't even know poets had CDs. And I listened to this thing habitually. I listened to it until subconsciously my delivery and things of that nature started to mirror his. Then I started watching his videos. Then my mannerism started to mirror his. And when I noticed that somebody brought it to my attention, I didn't like the fact that I was a clone of somebody else as much as I admired him. So I stopped listening to his CDs. Other poets would come to shows and I would support them by buying their merchandise, but no offense to them, but I would never listen to it or read it because I didn't want to be influenced by another wave of thought. I wanted to be absolutely unique. So that's pretty much what I did. I just detached or separated from, from the common sound. And when you're not familiar with it, you can't copy it. And the only thing I had left to pull from was my own voice. Okay. I mean, and you have definitely done that. Cause you know, that's what I've been saying is that you are definitely unique. And one of the things that I love most about your style is that a lot of people can can get it like you know i told you my fiance is straight atlanta straight from right. but he can still listen to your poems and be as entertained as me who was not about that life was quote-unquote good girl college student things like that whatever and and it appeals to me and then you know my best friend who's from california she can listen to him and be like oh he's nice so it's just Everybody pulls something different from it, but it's we're all drawn to it. <laughs> and I have never shown somebody of one of your videos and they say, Oh, that was okay. Or uh, he's straight, or he, you know what I'm saying, eh, whatever. Even non-poetry 
type people, non-spoken word people. But in reality, if you listen to music, you have some sort of love with poetry, whether you know it or not. (laughs) Even my mother can get with it. And my mother is the epitome of a recluse. She does not like music. She does not like noise. She watches YouTube videos on site on mute with captions. (laughs) 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 Yeah, she has me beat. Yes. She don't don't even want to fill the company with sound. (laughs) No, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But she likes it. You know what I mean? So it's I mean I I can't put my finger on it on exactly like what it is. It's just something that just is, you know what I mean? It's, it's dope. That's all I can say. Thank and I was you. so upset when you made that I'm so dope poem. Because put it like this, not everybody can say I'm so dope and you can't challenge them on that. It <laughs> <laughs> was, was, was a lot of good ones. I think a lot of people did good. It was, a, it was <laughs> I heard a lot of poets do that challenge. Um, it was some good ones. But, if somebody really told you, you know, yo, I'm dope, you could probably be like, well, if you were so dope, then how about this? Or what about that? Or you could tweak this or you could tweak that. But when I read, I mean, when I listened to your I'm so dope, I was like, God damn it, he dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't challenge it. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a fun point. Um, the person who came up with it, it was a a collaboration between, well, I won't say a collaboration, but it was a collective effort between two. One guy, black named Black Chakra, he wrote a poem called I'm So Dope, and he performed it at a venue, and someone caught it on a videotape. And then another poet named Masterpiece, a woman, she saw it, and she asked him, hey, you mind if I use your poem to start a challenge? He said, cool, do it. So she wrote her version of it, and she put it out. So hey. I challenge you poets to do this. So it seemed like something that was fun. So I went in the bathroom and sat by the mirror and boom. With the bonnet on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the bonnet on. You know, that wasn't even intentional. It's just that's how I walk that's how I walk around the house, right? So I didn't even think nothing. It's like I'm not finna get dressed and do all this stuff. I'm just, I'm just recording the poem. So I just, you know. It was kind of one of those things that when it was over, I'm looking like, I got a damn bonnet on. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I need yeah. you to understand. Like, not every man, okay, I don't care how big or muscular he is, not every man can be taken seriously with a bonnet on, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but you are one of the few, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got the bonnet right here, right now. This is my women's room at the house. I'm sorry. I just had to point that out. So let me ask you this. What was the turning point for you to get involved in awareness about sexual assault and harassment? The the first video I ever recorded, the first year I, I done poetry, I wrote a poem and a guy in Florida who used to do short films he saw it and said, hey, I want to fly you to Florida and, and record that poem you did. And it was called A Little Girl's Cry. And it was about a little girl who had been sex- who was being sexually assaulted by her stepfather. So I grew up in an abusive household where I watched 
one parent abused the other parent. So when you when you grow up in that environment as a child, it puts you in a position to where you now have to you have to develop a definition of love, right? And you look up love in Webster, it just says a strong feeling. That's that's synonymous with hate. So in order to really have a definition of love, our definitions are based off of what we experience. So if I see two parents or one parent beat the other and then say, I love you, I can easily be brainwashed to believe that's love. And then I grow up and get me a girlfriend and crack her cranium when it's bonding time, right? So fortunately for me, I didn't adopt that as being love. I felt a certain level of pain, secondary trauma that made me never want to inflict that level of pain on anybody else. Um, so my definition of love was the complete opposite. Now we fast forward to when I started writing poetry. Poetry is, is an absolute depiction of life. And I never, I rarely ever pick the topics. I, I hear something, whether it be talking to you or talking to someone else, I just hear something in the air and I write what I hear. So it's like the topics pick me and say, hey, write me. And I say, okay, and I write that. But I don't sit down and say, today I'm gonna write about elephants and then force out a poem about elephants. So with it being that organic, poems always tend to be a reflection of what that person has been through. So after a year of writing poetry, I went back over my catalog and without realizing it, a large portion of those poems were addressing some form of abuse, whether it was sexual abuse, domestic violence, psychological abuse, um, it was addressing abuse. And I would just use these poems and put them online. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't using them in an official capacity. And someone saw that and introduced me to a way to where I can actually use those poems in educational platforms, go to corporations and educational institution and use those as part of presentations to address those topics. So then I made the transition to using art for advocacy versus just using it as a, as a means to vent. So I hope that addressed your question. Yeah, you know, like I said, I've been following you pretty much since you got started. So I noticed the change, like once I started seeing, you know, the t-shirts, the, the more of the advocacy videos and whatnot, which I was happy to see, because honestly, I feel like change comes about better when it comes from a member of the class that is typically responsible for it. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. women can, because, you know, women have always screamed about stop abusing us. You know, we're going through this, we're going through that, but it's always been blown off. But when you have a man who is saying, this is really happening now, other men are like, oh, well, it's men saying it, I guess it must be true. Sad, but right. true. And I, when, I'm, I appreciate that on so many levels because I'm obviously a woman, so I'm an <laughs> advocacy of womanhood, but right. I also love the black man, and I get that black men are responsible for some bad things, black women are responsible for some bad things, but you do a great job of pointing out the issue without necessarily pointing fingers at the collective, only those individuals that are the, the ones responsible for it. Right, and you bring right. attention to everybody because a lot of times when you start talking about abuse and um, assault, harassment and stuff like that, it's like, well, men do this or all men, all women, black men, black women, whatever. But no, yeah. it's like the abusers are the abusers. Yeah, it's a human problem. Yeah, it's an absolute human problem versus a specific gender. I think you start doing that and targeting individuals. 
you create a need for people to unnecessarily defend themselves. So I think we have to identify, or you also, you, you create a certain sense of reprieve for, for instance, if I say all rapists are men, men are the rapists in society. What I do is I, I issue a certain level of reprieve to the women who are sexually assaulting people. They can now hide under the radar and still be safe because I've created that narrative or I've enforced the narrative that it's all men. So I think it just has to be identified that it's a human problem and it happens. Men are perpetrators, women are perpetrators, blacks are perpetrators, whites are perpetrators. It's a human issue. Now, statistically, it's more prevalent certain ways than others, but the bottom line is it doesn't make it any less right because the percentages are lower for a certain gender or a certain ethnicity. It's, it's a human issue. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously, from just a social activist standpoint, beyond the advocacy, obviously, you're black and you're a man. So I guess that automatically gave you the fuel for some of the, I call them the blackity black black poems, because I'm, I'm off the, I get these. So the, the my podcast is the beacon of truth, where we are black 365. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you definitely fit into my wheelhouse. I was like, yes, make it cool to be black. Because I don't know what it is about black people, but sometimes we don't want others to point out that we are black and that we have a, a unique set of circumstances, good, bad, or indifferent. We are unique. Right. That's true. Very true. I think... Um... What, what, what do you let me clarify first before I start black? What do you mean by you think sometimes some of us have a problem with others pointing out that we're black? Have you ever heard people say, Oh, here we go with this nigga shit? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. It's yeah. and it's like sometimes, and I think it all right. Here's a little insight about me. I believe. <laughs> that integration was one of the worst things that happened to the black community. Okay. So I don't talk about it a lot, but that's just one of my personal beliefs. And for that reason, just real quick, is because prior to desegregation, we had our own grocery stores, gas stations, limousine companies, buses, everything we needed to survive, doctors, lawyers, schools, everything, because we could not go to their establishment. Once right. we were desegregated, we did not retain ours and they retained theirs. And then we just all went to each other's places, schools, you know, whites were sent to black schools, blacks were sent to white schools. No, all of our stuff was destroyed, closed, sold and bought out, whatever. And then we went to theirs. So for a long time, we felt like we needed to integrate and to be like them, the air quote them, as opposed to being us and caring for us with the ability to intermingle if we chose to. Right. So long version is, as a result of that, sometimes I feel like people don't want us to be too black because we have to blend in okay yeah i can I, I can see that i can absolutely see that i think that uh I've, I've gotten a lot of backlash there's a poem that i have called the perpetrator's perspective and 
the perpetrator's perspective is addressing sexual assault from the perpetrator's perspective. You know, we always hear it from the victim's perspective, how they felt and the long lasting effects of their assault. But to hear the perpetrator say, this is why I successfully got away with what I got away with. And this is why I'm going to continue to get away with what I get away with. And this is how society is contributing to the development of me. And thank you. So it's kind of one, it's one of those poems to where you have to know the enemy in order for you to fight against it, right? Like I'm pretty sure in the military, they study whoever, whatever country they're going to fight against, they study them first before they go. So you got to know the enemy before you can fight against it. So I did a poem from that perspective and I got a lot of backlash from black people because I was the one who presented the poem. And because I'm black, they felt like the overarching message was black men are perpetrators. Even though there was no gender and there was no race specified in the poem, just the fact that I'm the one who presented it. So I guess what they would have preferred was for me to write my poem and give it to a white guy and let him learn it and then let him present it. So there, I think there's an ingrained insecurity that we all have, and whether it's subconscious or not, there's an ingrained insecurity. If I walk across the street and I get hit by a car, boom, and I end up in the hospital and I deal with that level of trauma. The next time I cross the street, I'm gonna be extremely hesitant to walk in the street. That incident has developed a level of insecurity in me to where I'm not as free walking across the street. And I think the trauma that has happened in the past and has been perpetuated has created this insecurity to where we don't wanna see or hear anything that another ethnicity can use against us in a bad light. Yeah. But whenever we see it, we automatically become defensive. Self-preservation kicks in and we take that down, right? <laughs> because we, and no other race has ever had that problem. No white, no, no white person, no other ethnicity who's seen that poem has ever said to me, I think you're misrepresenting your race. But black people have, because we have that ingrained insecurity. So I think sometimes that insecurity we have, and I understand it, I understand why we have it. And um, I think it can be used in some healthy ways as well. But I think sometimes that, makes us defensive in times where we probably shouldn't be. But at the same time, it also allows us to have our guards up in times where we absolutely should. So it's pros and cons to it. that we just got to create a balance. Agreed. Agreed. So you do this full time. This is your life. Yes. This is art. Art is pretty much what I do. Concentration on advocacy now. So most cases, my speaking engagements are with federal government organizations or colleges and I go to these organizations and it's like I have a 90 minute presentation and the presentation, you know, most times when you go places and there's a presenter, there's a slideshow and then they introduce a topic through a slide and they discuss the topic. Well, with me, there's no slideshow. When I was in the military, I used to sit in rooms and slides were like melatonin to me. You turn the slide on, I'm turned off, right? So I never wanted to use slides with anyone else. So I use a poem to introduce the topic and then go into discussion. So that's pretty much what I do. And I still do poetry on the public um, sector as well, like, you know, nightclubs and those type venues. Okay. So when you do these presentations, you just introduce it with a poem and then you're actually dialoguing, like discussing whatever the topic is, or is it a show or? It's uh, it's kind of like, it, there's an entertainment, there's a performance artist, performance art aspect of it. Absolutely. So say, for instance, if I have a presentation, that presentation is going to talk about a perpetrator's perspective. It's going to talk about male victimization, the last long, the long lasting effects of sexual assault. 
the uh, the impact that a controlled substance can have on decision making, all those things. So I'll start off with a poem from the perpetrator's perspective, and then we'll go into open discussion about not that poem, but about that topic. And then, I may, then I'll go into a poem about male victimization, males being victimized, and then we'll go into a discussion about that topic. So the poem introduces the topic. And the reason I think that's effective is because, say for instance, we have vices like like sweets. Sugar is my vice. So I can have a candy bar in my hand and read the nutritional facts on the back of the candy bar and they won't deter me. As negative as they may be, I'm reading them while I am enjoying this candy bar. They're not going to stop me. It's because I hadn't, my body hadn't suffered the outward effects of the hazards of that candy. I hadn't gotten obese. I hadn't developed diabetes, anything of that nature. Now, if I'm diagnosed with diabetes, I guarantee you the very next day, I'll start altering my diet. So the, the point is, facts aren't enough. If we don't attach some level of emotion to the facts, we don't act on it. So looking at the nutritional facts isn't enough to make me get right. But being diagnosed with diabetes and now you threatened my life, that emotionally affected me. Now I'm going to act on it. That's what the poetry does in those presentations. Most people, when they come to a presentation, they present you with a lot of data. People fall asleep. The poetry attaches the emotion to the data. At that point, it becomes a call of action. And when people leave, they want to go do something about it. So that's that's why I think the poetry is, is effective when incorporated in those type of presentations, if that makes sense. I got you. I got you. When it comes to just doing the poetry, do you memorize every poem that you do? Is it a freestyle or how, did, how does that work? No, it's not a freestyle. Everything is written and I memorize every poem that I present. I hadn't memorized every poem I've written. There's poems that I've written that still got the tags on them and I hadn't reread it since I wrote it. But every poem that I present, I always memorize it. I never read it from anything. So they're always written previous to, and and I always memorize them if I know I intend to present them. How long does it take you to memorize a poem? It depends on the length of the poem, but on the average, it may take me a day and a half to memorize it, to have the words memorized, to internalize it to the point to where I can present it in a real conversational tone, natural emotion. That might take another three days. So we're talking about a day and a half to memorize it, another three days to internalize it, about four and a half, five days total. Okay. What do you do to keep your words sharp? And I guess it's just so natural, but even like when you talk, and I know you, <laughs> but it, like a lot of times it sounds like you're reciting poetry. So, I mean, how... How do you keep your, like, what are you doing to feed your mind the words? Or are you just naturally gifted and have a wide vocabulary already? Hell no. Uh, <laughs> I'm from the gut. I'm from South Central Los Angeles where all our vocabulary is the same. I read. I read. I watch people who articulate well. And when I read any word I don't know, I look it up. That's the reason I read on a Kindle. Because on a Kindle, you don't know a word. You just put your finger on it. The definition pop up. Where in a book, you got to highlight it. Then go find a dictionary and look it up. So I read. Reading helps. Again, watching people helps. Who, who can't articulate. So a combination of those things. But it's definitely not. And I don't want to discount a gift. If that's what it is, I don't want to slap God in the face and discount a gift. But... No, nah, I'm not. I'm not one of these brilliant boys out the womb where I just 
they cut the umbilical cord and boom, I was giving lectures. Nah, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) So do you use your conversation to practice your craft? Like, because again, a lot of times, like when you're answering these questions or you just have, like I have seen you talk after a poem and it sounds like you're still reciting a poem. You see what I'm saying? So I'm just, how do you keep the, the wordplay. I don't. I don't know. It's, it's a unique style. <laughs> I think it's just the opposite. I don't think. I don't think it sounds like I'm reciting. I think it seems that way. Like it sounds like I'm reciting a poem. But what it is, the poem just sounds like a conversation. A lot of poets, when they write poems, they they say it like a poem. It doesn't sound conversational anymore. They 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 drag out the words. They sing some of the words. They say it like a poem. Where every poem I write, I say it like a conversation. So the poem sounds like I'm talking. So when the poem ends and I keep talking, it still sounds like the poem. I got you. I got yeah. you. That makes sense. How did you get so fast? What do you mean? Like with the delivery, because, you know, as a matter of fact, you just did a poem on it. I get, was it the complicated delivery or there's problems in the delivery there's problems, room? There's problems in the delivery room. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, okay. Now, me, because I'm into your craft, I'm like, it's not too fast for me. I just got to catch up. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I, I got to learn to follow the ball. It's just like watching a tennis match. You know, the first time you watch it, you figure it out, okay, where, okay. But then as you watch it more, you can kind of predict a little bit. So I just, you know, had to tune in. But I would never tell you to slow down. I'm like, that's his craft. That's his skill. That's how he do it. If it's too fast for you, you got to catch up. You know, you can't fault him because you're too slow to get it. Right. It's no different than what you just did, right? You said, uh, you said I've been following you for a while. So, you know, I don't feel like it's too fast. I just feel like I need to catch up. It's like if you're watching a tennis match and you got to follow the ball with your head. And when you said that, you said it significantly fast because you were passionate about what you were saying and you knew exactly what your thought was. And you probably didn't even realize you were talking fast. No. <laughs> that's, what, that's how the poem is, right? When I'm confident about what I'm saying, I know what I'm saying. And there's a certain level of passion that attaches to what you're saying. You know, we talk faster when we're excited about something. So that's that's all it is. It's just it's, it's influenced by the passion. You get passionate about something, you start talking fast. You ever have to slow somebody down that's real excited about something? Like, wait, 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 slow down. What are you trying to tell me? So that's that's yeah. all it is. Yeah, that's what it is. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, also, oh, so when did you do this book? Blossom. Uh, Blossom. Let me see. My daughter wrote her book, her first book in 2017. And I only wrote it because she had one. So I felt like I felt inferior. So I felt like I had to write a book because she had a book. And she wrote hers in 17. So that's when I wrote mine. Her first one she wrote in 17. Then she wrote another one. I'm not going to keep writing them. She will. I'm not. I wrote one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how old is your daughter now? She's 17 now. She wrote okay. her first one in 15. Okay, okay. And I'm a fan of hers too, because she keep you in line. You hear me? <laughs> she make you run the social media and cry. Like y'all help me. I know I'm the daddy, but she is running me. <laughs> Man, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> so was your daughter's book poetry? Yeah, both of them were poetry. The first one was, maybe it might have been 27 poems, just a wide array of topics. 
And the second one was, she's a love freak. She loves love. The second one was called, her name is Brooklyn. Second one was called Love Brook. And um, it was purely about love, self-love, loving somebody else, just love. Cool, cool. And so why don't you cover more love yourself? I'm just asking. Um, again, I think poetry is depiction of life. I don't know if there's been a point in life where I've wholeheartedly allowed myself to accept love. Except for, you know, we have we have household love and we have inherent love for family members. But then there's a, a love that has to be developed and worked on between romantic partners and significant others. And my entire life, I don't know if I fully allowed myself to accept or reciprocate that type of love. So it's it's not a topic that I can write the hell out of a love poem. I just hadn't lived one. Right. So I have love poems, but they are. When I actually allow myself to to full fledged com commit to that sentiment, this is what I imagine that they'll feel like. So my love poems aren't written based off of experience; they're written based off of, I guess, clairvoyancy. What what I imagine it to be in a, in the future. I got you, and I think that's actually one of the reasons why. I can continue to follow you because it takes a lot to follow. Uh, especially a spoken word person or a poet for really? years and years. But I appreciate the fact that it's not that much love or that many love poems, honestly, because that's to generally like what you expect when it comes to poetry. Right, right. Or that, that's our first encounter with poems is like love poems. Right. You know, that, that's what they are. So it's, it, it works for me that it's not a lot, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> you know, I mean, and granted, you know, I mean, I'm I'm in a whole, you know, healthy, happy-go-lucky relationship, but congratulations. I, I'm just not that whole. I'm not that lovey, lovey person. You know, right. <laughs> I get my friends give me hell sometimes because they tell me I'm a whole nigga. You know, because. <laughs> I do have a lot of like, yeah, love is cool, but that's between us. We tell me about the football game. Right. Let's right. talk about politics. Tell me about the protests, you know. Yeah, but you're not you're not I running just, down the street in slow motion, blinking hearts out your eyes and stuff like that. No, nah, right. no. Nah, <laughs> you know, and, and even like we he's uh my, my fiance is a truck driver. So even when he comes on, we like, shit, what's up? What's happening? That's how we greet each other, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we just I, I'm definitely a homie, you know, kind of kind of girl for real. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Well, before we go, you gonna drop a little nugget on us, bless us with a little gift. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see. A, a woman's beauty lies within the length of her hair. Right. What does that mean? That means the shorter a woman's hair is, the further she is from being beautiful. A woman's beauty lies within the length of her hair. That means the big chop has chopped you off the list of the attractive. A woman's beauty lies within the length of her hair. Lies lie within the mouth of whomever spat this nonsense from the platform of their uninformed lips. A woman's beauty lies within her gender. It is your birthright. Ever since the day that you made your amazing escape from the uterus beauty and bust down the doors to the delivery ward and waged war against all ugliness. 
gorgeous, has guaranteed to spend a lifetime with your eyes. Amazing has glazed your face. Stunning has stood on the edge of your cheek and nose dove into your smile. Astonishing has stole the address to your soul, cracked the code on your rib cage, furnished your aura with irresistibleness. Now it exudes through your pores and not once throughout this process was your hair length considered. But little girls' opinions have been apprehended by the apparition that beauty is the wavy rivers that flows through flowing hair and Goldilocks has locked fool's gold in adolescent minds, convincing them that their worth is lessened if their vines aren't ground length. That's why the purchase of synthetic self-esteem is so groundbreaking, but I beg to differ. And I beg that we different that we continue, we discontinue differentiating the, the, the difference between Rebecca. I beg to differ, and I beg that we discontinue differentiating the difference between Rebecca, excuse me, I done lost my complete train of thought. That's all right. Okay. I'm going to blame it on me. I'm going to take accountability for that because no, I've it. never seen you do that before, so I'm going to say it's me. It's me. <laughs> I'm gonna start back from this part. And throughout this process, throughout this process, not once was your hair length considered. But little girls' opinions have been apprehended by the apparition that beauty is the wavy rivers that flows through flowing hair. And Goldilocks has locked fool's gold in adolescent minds, convincing them that their worth is lessened if their vines aren't ground length. That's why the purchase of synthetic self-esteem is so groundbreaking. But I beg to differ. And I beg that we discontinue differentiating Rapunzel from Rebecca because Rebecca chose to ignore the stereotype that her worth was birthed from her scalp and must be greased with Glover's man. I'm here to tell you, you do not need moose in order for your life to speak volumes. An aquanet would not hold you as steadfast as your confidence will. Your beauty lies within the bravery to be yourself. So a set of clippers has not cut your ties with a lure, nor would it fade your beauty into oblivion. Your wake up and go taper tells me that you are not imprisoned by opinions and that your self-worth is too steadfast to be blown in the wind. So when these self-esteem poachers come for your head, just brush them off. Watch them tumble from relevance, bounce off your shoulders and hit the ground with no impact. And maybe, maybe I'm a little biased because my fingers have developed a fetish for fondling scalps. I have a weather control panel installed in my palms that can cause hot flashes, promote precipitation and potentially flood your entire southern region. So please let this poem be the detangler for your twisted perception and go remind all those who are wigging out because the wigs are sold out. And whether your hair is long or your hair is gone, your beauty lies within your gender. It is your birthright. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mr. West, for your time. Again, you know, thank you for bearing with me through this interview. I'm still, you know, on cloud 10 about this. So thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. We really appreciate you. And um, how can anybody that's listening, how can they find you? Facebook is, uh, well, first off, before I even mention that, thank you. Thank you wholeheartedly for giving me the opportunity um, to to share this space with you in front of whoever it is that you have who follows you. That means a lot. Thank you. And Facebook is OB West, O-B-B-I-E-W-E-S-T. A common mistake is people spell OB with one B, but it's two Bs. O-B-B-I-E-W-E-S-T on Facebook, same thing on Instagram at OB West. I have two Instagram pages. One is a backup page I rarely ever use. That's at OB West 2, I believe it is. But my page where I share most of the content is at OB West, O B B I E W E S T. Website, 
obwest.com advocacy website is spoken advocacy advocacy.com and um linkedin is ob west so you can pretty much find me through use ob west to find me everywhere all right and just so you know you are actually big enough that if somebody puts it in like if they google you with one b google will correct them i'm just here to tell you <laughs> i didn't know that really <laughs> <laughs> wow just know that yes sir yes sir you are on that status okay well i really i really appreciate the opportunity oh you're more than welcome and and thank you as well i really appreciate this this has been a great interview and i can't wait to share it with everybody absolutely have a great day All right be blessed you too